0: Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast presented by Nenny and Associates. I'm your host, Jim Schaefer. Now, if this is your first time tuning in, Nenny and Associates is an executive search firm focused on the building efficiency industry. Hence why we named the podcast the way that we did. And simply put, we help our clients find the right talent. Each week, we sit down with leaders from the industry to discuss their backgrounds, how they got started in their careers, and where they see the industry heading. We also get to know our guests and find out what drives them to be successful. And on today's episode, episode 79, we sit down with Roy Amshanowski. It was a fun conversation with Roy as we heard a little bit about his international background growing up and how he landed here in the United States, eventually receiving his MBA from MIT. We spent some time talking about why he co-founded Tutin Labs and and how they're going to market today. And really the conversation gets interesting as we talked about the role of technology shaping the future as it relates to predictive analytics and building management, as it relates to uh, especially building efficiency. So it was really neat conversation there. And and Roy, of course, provides some insightful advice to his 22 year old self, which you'll want to stick around to hear at the end of the episode. Now, if you haven't done so already, Be sure to subscribe to our channel and consider downloading this episode and future episodes. This is really the only way that we can track how many people are listening. So if you're one of the folks out there who are still streaming the episodes, we urge you to consider hitting that download button instead. And if you enjoy this episode, please share it. Leave a five-star review on our channel. Now we think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Roy and I. So let's drop in. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Roy Amshenowski, who is the co-founder and CEO of Toon Labs. Roy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Jim. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we uh, I'm glad we made this happen, and uh, I'm glad that I hopefully pronounced your last name correctly. You did excellent, by the way. <laughs> I, I've never seen people do, doing it so well on the first try. So well done. Oh well, we're <laughs> off to uh, we're off to a good start here then. So uh, so Roy, I um I know you and I haven't spent too much time together, and uh, I know we got introduced through a mutual uh, mutual colleague here. So I have a feeling our audience probably isn't going to know uh, too much about you or tutan Labs either. So so if we could, let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and then kind of how you got started in your career yeah, sure. So well, my name is Royam Shinovsky,
1: as you said. I was born in Israel. I moved to South America, to Chile specifically when I was five years old. I grew up in Chile most of my life, and I moved to the u s when I was twenty eight and I've been living in the u s for the last eight years. I spent my career initially in the banking industry, so most of my career, I spent it doing corporate and investment banking at JP Morgan. Then I decided to make a a turn in my career and I moved to the US. I, I did an MBA at MIT focused on innovation, technology and entrepreneurship. And that's when I moved towards the technology side of things. I spent some time at Amazon working in their retail department. And after spending some time at Amazon, I decided to found my own company, which is Student Labs, the place where I work today. And with a clear objective to become a leader in workflow management in different industries. So that's okay. a quick intro.
0: Okay, all right, that sets us up. Uh, sets us up nicely to uh, to talk about Tuttle Labs. So, so what's your reference there? Can you expand on that, or maybe just just start at the most funda- fundamental level? Like, who is Tuttle Labs? You know, how are you go to market, and you know what type of products and solutions are you bringing to the to the table here to the industry?
1: Absolutely. So we see ourselves as a workflow management software company, and our main focus is to help multi-site retailers to be more efficient from an energy management and spending perspective and from an operational continuity perspective as well. So basically, we look to build solutions that help our clients save money on energy spending and or save money on how they manage their operations in their facilities. And long story short, the company has been around for six years. Uh, We started originally in South America, then we moved into the U.S. as well. And as of now, we are around 200 employees. We have presence in more than seven countries from the U.S. down to Chile and Argentina and everything in between. And our main purpose is making sure that our clients can grow their, their business in a sustainable
0: way using our solutions. At the fundamental level, I'm just kind of thinking through this, it's a, it's a software play? Is it a software? So, it's a system? I, I guess, tell us a little bit about that. When I hear about the uh, the workflow uh, solutions that you guys are bringing to these multi, large multi-site retailers, like what exactly are they, they implementing?
1: Sure. So. We see it as a combination of software and services that go together with the software. And to give you a clear example, our clients are, for example, supermarket chains or convenience stores that use our solution in order to monitor their critical equipment from HVAC to Lightning and to everything energy-related in their stores. And we monitor all of those assets 24-7 we receive alarms based on anomalies in how those assets are functioning. And we have a set of algorithms and machine learning tools that help us predict when an asset is not functioning appropriately. And when that happens, we basically trigger an alarm in order to solve the issue remotely if possible, or we trigger a workflow to solve the issue on site through a service network if necessary. So general lines, that's
0: what we do. Got it. Okay, that makes a ton of sense now. All right, thank you for walking us through that. All right, sure. so so when I think about like these large, you know, national account, multi-site retail type customers, you know, how have you found the most success working with them? Meaning like, I know they, they can be centralized or decentralized. The buying decisions might be made at the C-level or they might be made at the procurement level. So how have you and your organization, you probably have a sales team out there, but it sounds like you, you guys have been able to have success and, and gain some traction in this space. So at what level have you found the most success in navigating some of these large corporate accounts?
1: Well, that's a tough question because every case is a bit different. Sure. I would say that... In general, the bigger the client, the more, the more difficult it is to navigate their organization. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a combination of different areas. So usually the energy management departments and the maintenance or construction departments are the main users of our solution because they are the ones that are trying to achieve energy efficiency or operational efficiency. So they tend to be our promoters internally But since our contracts are big in terms of unit economics, our average contract is probably for half a million or more per year. Usually, the procurement process is also very important because whenever a company is going to spend that that much of money on a recurring basis, the procurement department always jumps in. So at the end, we see that we need to partner with it. Procurement, with energy management, and with the maintenance and construction departments of all of our clients. And that's the best way to reach an agreement with them. And we also see that this is not only being done through a direct B2B approach. So, of course, having a direct B2B approach is very important, but having the right partners is also very important because most of these companies, when they build a store or when they retrofit a store, They work with hardware providers in order to set up the equipment under building management systems. And so as long as we have the right relationships with those hardware providers, we can tie our service together to the hardware.
0: And that's even better. So we basically see it both ways. And you had mentioned before, you know, remote monitoring and and diagnosing what the problem is and deciding, hey, is it on site? Does it need to be solved by somebody literally being on site or can we do it, solve the problem remotely? I'm just thinking from like uh, from a workforce management standpoint and and actually getting people on site and, you know, having those networks set up. How often would you say the problem can be solved remotely versus, hey, we really need someone physically on site? Is it 80-20? Is it 50-50? I mean, what have you typically seen?
1: Wow. So it varies per kind of client. So the nature of how a supermarket works, believe it or not, is very different from a department store or from a convenience store. Okay. And if I would have to generalize, I would say that it's half and half. So okay. half of the issues can be resolved remotely through the BMS system, and the other half requires some sort of on-site involvement. Sometimes it's as easy as calling to the store manager and telling the store manager that one unit has the door open and they just need to close the door. And it's as simple as a phone call. In other cases, you need a track roll and you need to send a vendor to check something specific on the roof. It depends. But as time goes by, I would say that the percentage of things that can be resolved remotely is increasing because the BMS systems are more robust enable us more bidirectional communication. And another thing that is also impacting that ratio is the possibility to do fault detection diagnostics. So with FDD, we can basically prevent an issue before it happens. And if we can prevent an issue before it happens, it's easier to solve it remotely or to solve it with a quick phone call to the store rather than sending a track roll, which would cost... Three hundred bucks or five hundred bucks depending on the case.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and the reason I'm curious about, I mean, one of the uh, the themes here that you know we've we've heard throughout our podcast is this the workforce shortage, the labor shortage, the folks that are actually you know out there that have that blue collar technical background that could be on site, and and everyone talks about it, right? We can't find enough good electricians, plumbers. Uh, mechanics, whatever it is, it's, it's, a, it's a major shortage. So that's, I was curious, like if it was trending in one direction or the other, so there's less reliance on the actual trades folks that are out there, because everyone seems to have a hard time finding and employing those individuals today.
1: Definitely, that's the trend. And in order to do that, technology is critical. And that's why we position ourselves and why we see ourselves as a software company rather than a service company, because we believe that in order to get there, you need to keep investing in R and D and have the right technological tools that will help you do that. Otherwise, it's just managing service vendors. And as you said, nowadays and every day that goes by,
0: it's more difficult to find the the right the right great for each job. Right, right, yeah. And, and you had mentioned algorithms, and you know, imagine you know a lot of the conversation now is moving towards AI and yeah, predictive analytics and. Everything that uh, that's going in that direction. And, and you just uh, you wonder how it's going to you know really play a role in our, in our industry moving forward. So so I think that kind of sets us up. We're already kind of getting ahead of ourselves here. But, you know, Roy, where where do you see the industry heading? Right. If you were to look 10, 15 years, I know you already touched on it here, but if you could elaborate, you know, where do you see the industry heading here?
1: Yeah, so in in my personal opinion, I think that the industry is yet to be disrupted. Of course, there is some technology around, there is IoT going on, there is some machine learning, artificial intelligence. But when you compare the evolution of our industry to others, and let me give you one specific example, maybe transportation, right? Transportation was completely redefined by companies like Uber or Lyft. Same thing with shopping, right? Amazon revolutionized the shopping industry, and I haven't seen yet that big revolution for building efficiency. I think that there are some tools around that are helping us to do better what we used to do 30 years ago, but still we haven't seen that big, big change that is completely changing things. How is it going to look like? Honestly, I still don't know but I'm sure it will have to do to some extent with artificial intelligence, with machine learning, and with predictive analytics mostly, because my belief is that right now, we are reacting too late to things that happen on site. And if you want to avoid reacting too late, the only way to do that is by leveraging data, algorithms, and finding those problems before they happen, and if you saw at some point in your life uh, a movie called Minority Report, I yeah. think it's gonna be very much like that in building efficiency at some point. We'll yet to see how, but that's my view.
0: Wow. Okay. All right. Well, that's the first here on the podcast. I haven't heard that one, but that was a uh, that's super interesting. Very cool. All right. So let's, uh, Roy. Let's move to the kind of the last phase here, of the, uh, the conversation I wanted to ask you the same four questions that we asked to uh, to all the guests that come on here and, and wanted to lead off with, uh, what are your daily non-negotiables?
1: Oh, that's a good one. So I would say that I have four daily non-negotiables. The first one is customer obsession, right? So whatever you're doing the day, it needs to be related to your customers and making sure that your customers receive a better experience and you're better serving your customers in whatever you're doing on a day-to-day basis. The second, I would say, is transparency. So making sure we are open on communications, that we are clear on the good, on the bad, on the better. I think it's very important to be transparent internally and externally as well. Third, accountability. So if someone is committed to something, that someone needs to be accountable for whatever that individual basically made responsible for. And finally, ownership. And by ownership, I, I related a lot to entrepreneurship. I want everyone to feel like they own the company to some extent. I and mean, in whatever thing they are doing, act like an entrepreneur. I act like this company is yours. And
0: I believe that's the
1: path to success at the end.
0: Yeah, that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? All right, getting getting buy-in from the team members on that uh, and that could be challenging. So, if yeah, if you can crack that code, uh, that, that's uh, that'd be pretty powerful. Uh, yeah, all right, uh, so work in progress is still yeah, working work, progress. Absolutely, yeah, I hear you on that one. So, what what advice would you give your 22 year old self?
1: Wow. So, I would say that. When I was 22, I was very worried about what would be of me when I was 30 or 40. And rather than enjoying the path and making the most out of the path, I was worried about what would happen 10, 15, or 20 years down the road. And looking in retrospective, I'm not sure that was the best thing because I skipped many of the important things that happened along the journey. So I would recommend to myself enjoy the way and enjoy the ride and not only focus on the end goal.
0: And what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: So in my case, I would say that it's making sure that I'm making an impact or that I'm, I'm, I'm transcending to some extent. Right. And I've many times asked myself, well, how I would like to be seen the day before I die. And I would like to be seen as someone that contributed to making a better world in at least one specific area of the world. That would be in helping companies being more efficient in terms of energy spending or being better in the way how they manage their employees and how they treat their employees. I just want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it for a, a, a purpose that's going to transcend me being there
0: or not. And I think that kind of ties into the last question here. What do you want your lasting legacy to be?
1: Yeah. So I think it relates to what I just said. I would say that in terms of legacy, I would be very happy if after I'm not here, things changed to the better, right? I want to make sure that whatever I did in life, I didn't just surf the wave, but that I actually shaped how things are going to be for the betterment of our society in general.
0: Well, I think that's a perfect way to wrap up the show here, Roy. Thanks for the time and thanks for being, being a guest on the Building Efficiency Podcast. Sure. It
1: was my pleasure. And thank you very much for the invitation, Jim. All right.
0: All right, there you have it. Episode 79 with Roy Amshinowski. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcasts. We hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. And until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.